Hello and welcome to episode 2 of Archive Panic. I'm your host, Ben Nevin. Jacob Russo. And today we're going to be talking about a, I think it's safe to say a return to form uh, for this particular franchise with the 2022's Hellraiser. That is true, that is true. I did, I was quite surprised by this movie. I I saw the trailer and I, um, you know, I had relative high hopes. And I, I think those hopes have been met. Certainly, yes. Mm-hmm. I, personally, I was blown away uh, by the film and I don't say that lightly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd went into this as uh, I wouldn't say a massive fan of the franchise but certainly a fan of the franchise prior to now that I was expecting the worst going into this I'll be perfectly honest the trailers (laughs) were like I've been fooled by good trailers for shit films before you know and I just I was going into this with very low expectations and good lord uh so before we get into the nitty gritty, yeah, I feel was... like it's important for us to say we will be talking about this film in quite a bit of detail. So if you are, in, if you do intend to watch the Hellraiser film, whether you're a horror fan and or a fan of Hellraiser specifically, watch the film first, then come back to ourselves because we will be getting into spoiler territory from day dot. This is your first and only warning. Get to hell out of here. <laughs> And then come back when you've watched the film and we can have a wee chat about it. Yeah. But uh, before we get into the, the deep dive into the gore of Hellraiser, uh, how are you this week, Ben? I'm very well, thank you. How's mm-hmm. yourself? Been pretty good, pretty good. Uh, you know, uh, full disclosure as we're recording this, it is the day after Guy Fawkes Day in the UK. So I spent my night in a fucking rugby club field watching fireworks. It was pretty good. I spent my night watching Hellraiser. I did that too. By the time I got back from uh, wherever I was, it was very late. Uh, it was the perfect time to watch it. I was, I was, I was almost dead. But before, but before uh, we talk more about Hellraiser, I just want to mention we are still doing the John Carpenterathon. Yes, uh, the the reason for us doing Hellraiser is one, it's just came out, and two, and we want to take a sort of we're going to do a John Carpenter movie, then another movie, then a John Carpenter movie. Yeah, we need we need breaks. We're, we're human. We're just a couple of average fucking Scotsmen. But even though we we took we, we took a break uh, from John Carpenter movies, well, at least Ben did. I didn't. I ended up watching. Uh, I say ended up like it's a bad thing. I watched a Carpenter movie that he wrote from nineteen eighty six called Black Moon Rising. And from what you've told me about the plot <laughs> of this film, it is the most Carpenter fucking movie. I think I could even... Like, if you were to tell me to write a movie and make it look like it was written by John Carpenter, mm-hmm. I would have wrote that. Like, <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's just very... Cool guy, private eye thief, and stealing cars, and Linda Hamilton... Cool guy, who's actually an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> very... It's got the most 80s soundtrack I've heard in a while. Um, he didn't do the music, but it's, it's, the music's pretty good. I liked it. The movie itself... Eh, it's fine. <laughs> it's okay. You know, if you if you really want to watch this thing, it's a it's a fun waste of time for an hour and a half or so. But uh, uh, but yeah, that's my very brief thoughts on Black Moon Rising. There is two other John Carpenter movies that we won't be doing a full episode on: uh, Eyes of Laura Mars and uh, the Philadelphia Experiment. But if I watch them, I'll let you know about them. 
Fantastic. Yeah. So, now that that little bit of preamble is out of the way, Hellraiser, directed by David Bruckner. Yeah, have you seen any of his uh, previous? I have not, no. Honestly, this is my first experience with David. No, wait, shall I tell a lie? Uh, Didn't he do uh, The Sinister? One of the Sinister no, movies. No, that was Scott Derrickson. Who, what was it he done then? That David Bruckner. Along that lines. David Bruckner did The Ritual, which came out on Netflix. That, Netflix might, movie. that might be what I'm thinking With of. Rafe Spall. That's exactly what I'm thinking of. Yeah, yeah, I've Ritual, seen The Ritual. The Ritual's a very good movie. I liked it. Oh, yeah. I thought it was very good. Um, and he also did uh, The Night House, which is... Uh, I haven't of, seen that yet, but I've heard good things. It's fine. I... <laughs> I wasn't the most enthused about it, but it was okay. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a, your sort of almost standard haunted house type movie. Um, you know, I watched it once. I probably won't watch it again. That's fair enough. It was okay, but uh, but yeah, because when I heard that he was doing this new Hellraiser movie, because I liked the ritual, I, I kind of my expectations were set a little bit. You know, just. Because understandably so, given the, given the man's previous work, but having not really had any outside of the ritual, which of course is a great movie, I didn't really know much about David Bruckner beyond that one movie, and knowing the history of the Hellraiser franchise, mm. which we won't get into fu- fully here. It's spotty as fuck. Yes, <laughs> uh, to, and, and that's putting it very lightly. Um, for those of you who aren't aware... Past a certain point in the Hellraiser franchise, they, in order to simply keep a hold of the rights, they started taking horror movies that had nothing to do with Hellraiser yeah, took, whatsoever and like detective stories and whatnot. Yeah, they just took scripts that they had floating about and just added a pinhead to them. Yeah, and it's very, you can tell from watching the films that that is exactly what's happened because it's literally, in some cases, it is literally the final scene of the film. And then all of a sudden it's, oh fuck, it's a Hellraiser movie. Yeah. And uh, that is, I was so afraid that this was going to be that. Uh, the trailers well, proved no. me wrong, admittedly. Yeah, and then the when trailers I heard that, put uh, paid to that. Then when I heard that uh, Clive Barker was back as a producer. To a certain extent that did allay some, uh, some worries. Although again, when it was first announced that Clive Barker was coming back as a producer, I was still sceptical because it is, again, we are in a period of of horror at the moment where it seems to be kind of there's a weird horror style there's i don't know if you've noticed it as well where everything's oddly clean in a lot of uh horror movies at least that i've been watching recently and that and hellraiser to me has always been the exact opposite of that it should be Grimy, it should be dirty, you should, it should be disturbing. I, I do think this Hellraiser movie did, it still did have that kind of sheen to it. It wasn't as gory as previous Hellraiser movies, but. That's not a bad thing for me though, I will yeah. say. Even as a somewhat self professed gore hound, the gore in this film, I think, is more along the lines of the original Hellraiser, and uh, that it is used almost exclusively as a part of the story as opposed to look this is a cool kill or this is a cool concept for like you know this is like is rather than it being a vignette like so many horror films can kind yeah. of fall into the trap of doing the gore is immensely purposeful and because it is uh, somewhat subdued at least to begin with 
when it does go full-blown off the rails, oh, this is what we're doing now, kind of territory, it gives it that punch that gore should have yeah. in any kind of movie and that it makes you kind of recoil a little bit and it's... One thing I will say about this movie, though, that yeah. I, I wish it had more of, that the original ones had a bit more of, mm-hmm. <laughs> is the sticky, icky flesh men with no skin. See, I didn't, I, <laughs> see, I didn't mind that, because one thing that I feel that's important to know is that while this is a Hellraiser movie, to me, this is not a remake or a reboot. This is another adaptation, this is a new adaptation of Hellbound Heart. Have you read the book? Yes. Okay, I haven't read the book. That's what, that's what this film is so to does me. This, so does this movie follow the storyline of the book? No. Not at all? No, well... Here's the thing, right? This is why I... What? Leviathan. Oh, because there was a <laughs> fucking spike in the audio. He's calling it Leviathan. Fuck you. But, uh, no, it's... It is more along the lines of the theming of the book mm. than it is the actual plot. You see, the plot of the book and the plot of the original movie are effectively a one-to-one translation with very few details left out. The only things that really change in the original movie are that um, Frank's sorry, what's the main character's name? Not not Frank. The Kirsty. Yeah, Kirsty. That's it. Sorry, Kirsty in the book is Harry, not Rory. He's called Harry in the books, and Rory in the film, or other way around. I can't remember. But her father in the film is her ex. In the books. Okay. Which is a seemingly insignificant change. And I feel, I'm pretty sure Clive Barker changed that only to make the come to daddy line at the end a bit more creepy. Hmm. And honestly, <laughs> it fucking worked. But uh, besides that, and a few, uh, like the main, the actual, a few like bits where the book goes a little bit further into the sexual nature of Hellraiser and of the Cenobites and of Frank's character. It's basically a one-to-one translation and that is because Clive Barker wrote the screenplay mm. uh, for the original Hellraiser. So it is one of the very rare instances where the author of the book wrote the adaptation himself and got it produced and what have you. However, we're getting off track a little bit. Whereas the plot of this film is a new plot it could very well be. It could also serve as a sequel to uh, to the original Hellraiser, almost similar to what Halloween and Halloween Ends was to uh, the original nineteen seventy what nine eight. eight. Thank you, Halloween movie. I also thought that this new Hellraiser movie with the uh, the main character being a <laughs> struggling and getting out of rehab and stuff, and a very similar sort of. Um, plot set up to uh, the Evil Dead remake, the Evil Dead reboot. Yes, and it even follows the Evil Dead reboot as well with the sibling dynamic mm. of uh, of our main character or in the sort of inciting event of this film being um, the loss of her brother at the hands of the Cenobites. Yeah, and they're called Cenobites. I keep seeing videos of people calling them Cenobites. I'm like, who the fuck are you? Stop it. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> we almost made it into the first 20 minutes without a rant. Almost. <laughs> it's almost. <Cenobites. laughs> So, 
back to my theory of this being a new adaptation as opposed to a, a reboot or a remake mm. and that it has with the exception of one or two lines which again are lifted from the books as well as the original screenplay yeah, I noticed these lines <laughs> there are very few similarities between Hellra- between Clive Barker's Hellraiser mm. and David Bruckner's Hellraiser outside of themes, the general feeling of uh, the chase of the illicit and the uh, excess of uh, any nature, really. Yeah. And that is something that I think this film does immensely better than even the original book did, and that it changes the Cenobites from being creatures of specifically sexual pleasure and deviancy into beings of general excess by having the different stages of the lament configuration. They do yeah. not just offer sexual pleasure. There is power, there is resurrection, there is love, there is life, there is... Uh, I have the notes somewhere here, I'll get back to that later. But it creates this very interesting in story parallel between our main character, Riley, and her, her struggles with addiction in the beginning of the movie, between her use of the box throughout the movie because you can see her go through not necessarily the 12 steps program with regards to this but a very similar journey Mm. of initially just trying out the box and seeing what it was as an escape from her current situation i.e. being broke as shit yeah I was wondering right being broke as shit (laughs) where the the fuck do these characters work that they have like such well I suppose the what was it, Trevor is kind of revealed he's getting paid by... Whatever his Trevor name is. is getting paid but by... But I was looking at it and I was like, character. he's a fucking art delivery guy and his fucking apartment has like a pinball machine and it's just art cool as shit. Guy, art delivery guy, however, what kind of art and for who? Uh, that's true. Also the fact that it's set in, was it Massachusetts? Oh, it? I couldn't tell you. Was, yeah, the it, film's set yeah, in Massachusetts because it, it was in the mansions yeah. in Berkeley. Berkshires, Berkshires, California. Sorry, Berkshires even, yeah, Yeah. sorry. Yeah, it's set in the Massachusetts area, which, again, feels like a kind of nod to the Lovecraftian nature of the Cenobites, to a certain degree. Uh, I'm I'm not necessarily sort of Lovecraft historian by any means. I've not even read uh, the... Necronomicon or anything of that nature. I've read Shadow over Innsmouth. I think that's about it. Yeah, the Necronomicon is just a collection of his stories. Yeah. But yeah, but yeah I mean, but yeah, <laughs> but where the fuck do these characters work? Because I used to live in a flat share. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My flat share didn't look that nice. <laughs> Bear in mind, though, one thing about the flat share, right? There are four people in total in that flat. There was more in mine. <laughs> Three out of those four are in work. We don't find out what exactly. However, it is very heavily implied that the only one in the flat who is not able to consistently make the rent is Riley. Which tells me that the other three have some form of steady income. Yeah. (laughs) It was too nice, though. It was too nice. Yeah, but to be honest... You saw what my flat looked like. (laughs) Yeah, but we're talking about the difference between a film and reality. There's always mm. going to be it's that like an, element of it. It's like in Friends. Who are these people affording anything? Mm. 
How do they afford the fucking house in the original? They inherit it, but look at the fucking size of it. Keeping that thing running would cost a fortune. It was the 80s. So? I don't know. Things were cheaper. I don't know. <laughs> but, um, yeah, yeah, but they were making less as well. No. Anyway, we're getting distracted. <laughs> so, with the... What even were we fucking saying about it? Yes, or the parallels to addiction. And mm. that they initially go to lift the the cube in order to steal it and hopefully sell it on. Riley, during a a drug induced episode after being kicked out of the the flat by her brother <laughs> after taking four drugs, three three no three floor, pills floor drugs floor drugs sorry yes mm. uh, <laughs> floor drugs are like. It wasn't even floor drugs, it was ground drugs. Because it was fucking on, they were like in the dirt and shit between the pavings. It's all. It's a bad stage, man. I used uh, to be a degenerate, right? So, like, <laughs> any story that begins with that. So, I was a degenerate. No, I, I, I found myself going, like, I've done this before, it's fine. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, Allegedly. Allegedly, I don't even know if it's illegal, but uh, allegedly, uh, yeah, I yeah, <laughs> I lost two days. Let's put it that way. Uh, it was a great time, but no, uh, floor drugs, best drugs. But no, you know, no, did they we are ever not? Did we ever establish what it was that she was taking? No, because uh, she did say though simply as pills. And at one point later on in the movie, uh, we do find reference to her be to her turning down painkillers. Yeah, so it could be like opiates or something. However, again, given the nature of this film, I don't think it really matters all that much. No. Uh, she does state that she's never hallucinated on them, so we know that it's not any kind of psychedelics, so we're not talking like fucking 2CB and shit. But uh, mm. and even then, 2CB is usually a powder, isn't it? It's rare to see that no. in fucking pills. No, no, no. Really? I think 2CB. I've only ever seen it as a powder. Every time I took 2CB, it was in a little yellow pill with the Batman logo on it, so there you go. If it was Mandy, it would be a powder. But uh, I've only ever had 2CB as a powder. Probably wasn't 2CB then. I, I have had 2CB as a powder, actually, but it was um, it was sold to me in like a little pill capsule, so you had to untwist it. I mean, it was in a baggie. Usually, anyway. usually in Glasgow at least. This is, this is getting cut out. <laughs> no, no, no. This is educational. This is this is uh, this is fuck. This is this is cultural. <laughs> usually, oh, damn it. No. usually in Glasgow, Mandy is in a powder, but if it's two CB, it's a little pills. Right. There okay, that's plenty. Mm. So anyway, so in a drug induced state, after gubbing what we can only assume are some form of opiates or painkillers, uh, the box is she solves the puzzle. Mm. And we see the blade. I thought the blade the first time. I thought the blade was actually a very nice change to the. I fucking love it to as the well. box. I also thought the design of the box was quite nice because in the previous one it was just mm-hmm. kind of. I don't want to say flat because even in the. It pre- was yes. Yeah, but even in the previous ones, the box still looked very nice. But this one, it looks a bit more ornate. Yeah, um, the the metallic uh, sort of look of the box in this. And it feels heavy in this one. Yes, uh, that is another difference. Where, whereas previously the box did have this kind of otherworldly feel to it, mm. it didn't look like it should be able to move. That's one of that's always <laughs> been one of my kind of pet peeves of the original Hellraiser. Is that the lament configuration does not look like a puzzle box. It just looks like a wooden fucking box. 
that's been painted because I, that's what it was. And I do like the fact this one it is actually a puzzle box because in the all the old ones, in the older movies, they never show the puzzle in the older movies. Yeah, in the, old, in the older movies, <laughs> the older movies, it was just like any cunt that grabs it and then t- then fondles the little circle in there. It just and kind then, of and then, and then <laughs> it just kind of opens. Yeah. But this one, nah, they're like uh, they're like Rubik's cubing this motherfucker. Yeah, it's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I do have a question though. Uh, and this happened right at the start of the movie, and I was like, okay, this didn't happen in the original ones. Where, um, so we have, uh, what's his name? Vought? Robert Vought. Played Vought. by uh, Dr. Kovach from ER. Mm-hmm. He was also in the Electro movie, but we don't talk about that. <laughs> um, yeah, so he gets this other guy to solve the puzzle box. Yes. And then the chains come out and take him. However,. <laughs> And Hellraiser 2, Hellbound, Hellraiser 2, Pinhead comes out. This exact same thing happens where uh, Dr. Chenard gets the little uh, mute girl to solve it. And then Pinhead's, he's like, mm, it is not hands that call us, it is desire. One thing to remember, he doesn't though, take her. One thing to remember, though, is that we are dealing with a different this is true. set of rules, which is why, once again, that's another point for... This is a new adaptation of the source material, mm. not a remake or reboot of the original. Because not only are the Cenobites, first and foremost, have a different look, but their philosophy is completely changed. I they see. are no longer punishers of those who have done wrong. They are temptation. They are... Well, that is it. They, they are the embodiment of temptation in this movie. They weren't necessarily... Uh, Punishers of evildoers in the first two, either they were. They were. They were punishers of those who would, who done what would be considered by, society at large at the time to be excess and debauchery. No, I mean in the first one it was because Frank says something like, "Oh, they offer me all these pleasures," but it just wasn't the same. Um, yes, that's their role as these kind of, like you you wanted this, and so here it is. This is what you wanted. You wanted the to cause hurt. Well, guess what? You're causing hurt, but it's to your fucking self now. Mm. And that that same kind of role of like the punish punisher element to them is carried on in Hellbound, Hellraiser Part Two. In the very scene that you talked about previously, it is not uh, it is not hands or actions that summon us. It is desire, and they take. The doctor in that instance, and he is transformed into. Well, we don't take him at that point, but yeah, yeah. He's Cenobite, or at the very least, he is marked at that point. Yeah. Uh, to be taken. I will say, though, the Cenobites in this one, right? They look cool, right? But they, st- <laughs> they don't look, to me at least, they don't look like the BDSM hell freaks that they do in the. I would say they look more so that than they do in there the. There was other that ones. one, though, where the. the uh, how do I the, describe this? It's the, <laughs> right. I think I know the character you're talking about. It's the one that gets caught in the grate. Yeah, that one kind of yeah, reminds so me was, of... Um... He was degloved. Nah, well, no, yeah, that's probably. literally what that's called. It's when the skin comes yeah. back. He was, but his it kinda, face was degloved. But it kind of reminded me of... Um, have you ever seen those videos of like, people getting like vacuum sealed into like... Yes. yes yeah. that, <laughs> it kind of reminded me of those. Uh, that is intentional. Mm, I can imagine. supposed to remind you for that. I can imagine. Um, the reason that... I would say the design looks so much better in this movie for the Cenobites because they don't have any clothing. 
Yeah, I know. It's all their yeah. flesh. It took me till a good bit into the movie to realise that. Like, even after that. And once I did notice that, they became so much more menacing <laughs> and so much more terrifying to me because, like, of that sort of, that slight change to the Cenobites and to their design that it's not just, like, a bunch of guys in leather with a couple of wounds here and there or some, like, deformities here and there. It is they themselves, their bodies have been stretched and morphed mm-hmm. and peeled to create the illusion of uh, a dress, a, a suit, a, you know, I want to know what things. the... I want to know what the... What, they don't really give... They don't really have um, names like they do in the credits of the other ones, but... Um, they do. Do they? Yes, I don't there know. is the... So there is the Chatterer. Chatterer always gets done fucking dirty in these movies. Chatterer is the best one. They always fuck him up. Yeah, because he's the best one. They know he's a fan favourite, <laughs> so they know they... He's the first one to go. <laughs> yeah. Uh. They just fucking look at him. So there's the Chatterer, there's the Weeper. Uh, there is the Asphyxiate, or as- the, the yeah. Asphyx, which is the one that you were talking about earlier. There's the Priest. And I can't remember the name the of the fifth one. What was the one that looked like a fucking doll? Uh, I think that like was the doll. Pins in its eyes and then its hands like split open. So like there's, the... Oh, there's the gasp. So there's the chatterer, the I'm weeper, the gasp, the asphyx. And then there I'm, is... I'm assuming the gasp is the one that is... The a... mask. Yeah, I'm assuming the gasp is the one that was essentially deep throat from the originals. Yes. Okay. The one that, the one that was and like... And the priest... The one whose hands split open, you know, when, like it's doing the Vulcan That's side, the Weeper. Yeah, that one was pretty cool. That's the Weeper. <laughs> I do miss Butterball, though. I want Butterball back. <laughs> we all want Butterball back. <laughs> Butterball was cool. Butterball was the fucking best. And the engineer, and the engineer, and the engineer back. Who was the engineer? The engineer was the one that uh, Kirsty finds in the... Oh, in like the hallway? Yeah. I know, I feel like that would have been a bit too goofy for this particular movie. Because the design is a bit... Maybe. Is a bit much, to be fair. I would come. Oh no, he's great for the film he's in, but like the engineer is the engineer is also in um, uh, Hellraiser Inferno, but he's not a giant creature. He's the he's the killer. <laughs> he's the serial killer. Yeah, yeah. But uh, you know, uh, Hellraiser Five <sighs> Inferno. Uh, I don't mind that movie too much. Fuck you. <laughs> but uh, but no, I like that. I like the Cenobite whose hands like split open like it was doing the Vulcan sign, but then it yes. just kind of keeps going. Uh, yeah, you know, I like them. The Cenobite, his pen, uh, the Hell Priest, Pinhead, whatever you want to call them, they were pretty good. And this the performance, by, again, we've talked about this previous to the recording, but the performance by Jamie Clayton. As what else the, has she been in? She has been in. Hold on, I've got an ID. I cancelled my internet to stop my phone from vibrating off the fucking table. Uh, give me two seconds while I look this up. Uh, Jamie Clayton has a few things to her name. Let's just see here. Okay, so she's known for Hellraiser. She was in the L Word, Generation Q. And she played Sasha Booker in Designated Survivor. She was also in Sense8 as Nomi Marks. Uh, Those are her three big sort of things. Uh, She was in the TV series Equal. As well as The Chain, where she played Dr. Ryan. I don't know any of these. Did you see The Snowman? The shite movie with yeah. Michael Fassbender. Yeah, she played Edda. Well. And she is also the voice of uh, Jeanne Garçon in Mass Effect Andromeda. Oh. 
Okay then, I do know that one. Yeah. Giangar, is that the... She also plays a casting director in a film called The Neon Demon. I've seen that. Isn't isn't Jane Garson the one that just kind of... You haven't played Andromeda, have you? No. Oh, Jane Garson isn't really even a character. She's kind of like... She's like... She leads the Andromeda initiative, but she dies before the game starts. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's uh, Jimmy Clayton, but... Mass Effect Andromeda is underrated as fuck. People should play it. This is not a video game podcast for fuck's sake. It will be! No. <laughs> but anyway... Uh, <laughs> Jamie Clayton's performance as the priest is... Fucking exemplary. It is she skirts the line between malicious and just pure unfeeling like apathy so fucking well mm. throughout this movie that yeah, I mean the performances in general, like the cast is fucking incredible. There's only one performance in it I feel that stands out as a little bit is it Trevor? Eh? Uh, no. I actually, it was actually Robert for me. Uh, the guy that played Robert Vaught. Kovach? <laughs> yes, Kovach. Um, uh, there was a few moments where... I mean, what else are you to- going to do? You're, you're basically cowering in, you're basically cowering in pain the entire time going, yeah, what the fuck is... It was more the... It was less the performance for me and more the writing of his character in that movie that kind of soured it a little bit for me. There was one thing he did that I liked. Go on. <laughs> so, I don't know what it is about Hellraiser movies, right? But there's something about the way that certain characters move. So, for example, yes, for example, I, yes. I, in the first Hellraiser movies, when when the first Hellraiser movie, when Frank first comes back and Julia first sees him, he's crawling across the floor and his legs aren't moving. He's just kind of like they're just kind of flopping out of place. That freaked me out a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. And this movie, it's when the roommate—I can't remember her name right now—but when the roommate is. Uh, stuck in that um, secret Nora her name is Nora so when Nora is stuck in that secret corridor yes right and uh, Vought is uh, is uh, you see him just in shadow and he's he's chasing her down the uh, down the corridor just the way he moves sorry it is Voight yeah Voight Vought whatever his name is but uh, whenever he's like when he's running down the corridor and he's just kind of shambling through there yes you just see him in shadow that was freaky (laughs) That was kind of scary. But yeah, uh, his movement, he really sells the pain mm-hmm. uh, that he's in at that point yeah. quite well. Um, but uh, we'll go on to the, f- the fucking plot point with, with Voight being there in a little minute. But um, to kind of to keep talking about the performances a little bit, um, Odessa, I hope I'm not f- fucking frying her surname, uh, <laughs> Azion or eyes on or something like that the daughter and who of played Bobby Riley yes she puts in another fantastic performance uh, in this movie and really anchors the a lot of the theming like this film does not work half as well without her as that main character I feel she really sells a lot of the she was she was pretty good, <laughs> although uh, because like uh, if you didn't know her mum is the voice actress of Spinelli from Recess and Bobby from King of the Hill, but uh, there was points in it where she's shouting, and her voice is kind of doing that cracking thing. I was like, oh fuck, it's Spinelli, but uh, you know, <laughs> there, there, are, there is that element to it, of course. <laughs> but um, 
if if you find yourself able to look past that, oh, I, 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 which yeah. is very easy to do, <laughs> yeah, uh, this is not that's not a bad thing about her performance at all. That's just because it's we're a characteristic a, of her voice. <laughs> it's it's just because we're a couple of fannies, to be honest. Let's own up to it. That's nothing to do with I, uh, with her performance, but she really sells the again that whole journey of so the parallels between the addiction to the box and then her. A drug use in the beginning of the movie again without her without her performance that does not work anywhere near as well yeah she did it pretty she did it pretty well I know people like that back in the day was, uh, she did it she, yeah, she, she fucking was, she, it, was, she was doing it very good <laughs> yeah she sells it well uh, Adam Faison as Colin is fantastic as well the brother's boyfriend oh right okay yeah. Uh, yeah. As, again he puts in a fantastic performance uh I mean, Drew Starkey as Trevor there are a few moments where he does go a little bit over the top but given the fact that this is a Hellraiser <laughs> movie that is fucking fine with me I am happy for him to hammer up towards was, the end there was a bit and I suppose it makes sense story wise but he keeps um, he keeps just asking questions <laughs> I suppose it's to like draw attention away from himself because uh, spoilers he's in on it but um yes I suppose that's just uh, but there's points where like you know there'll be like <laughs> Cenobite walking about the place he's just kind of like what is that but it'll be very loud <laughs> and, uh, yeah yeah well in fairness at that point he had been he had had a chunk of his fucking arm ripped off by Chatterer my boy so uh yeah by your best pal is Chatterer even no never mind what did you just say it's like is Chatterer even a guy in this movie I don't know uh the canonically speaking uh the Cenobites are agendered yeah. They do not have any specific gender. While uh, it is said, while they may display feminine or uh, masculine traits in certain point, points, whereas basically some will have some will have tits and kind of looking looking a little some sort of vaginal looking thing, whereas some will have obviously phallic symbol symbolism about them. Uh, there is no specific gender binary for the Cenobites themselves, uh, which is. An element that is carried over from the book as well. Oh. And that pinhead is described to look um, pretty much as uh, as they do in the original movie. Yeah, there's a pinhead in the book as well. But with the sound, that. yes, his voice, or sorry, their voice, I should say. Isn't it, very, like, isn't it supposed to be like an excited little girl or something like that? Precisely, yes. It is that of an excited young girl. Uh, which is again just another level of fucked uh, from our, our old man Clive, Clive Barker there imagine, imagine the book pinhead just coming at you just with an excited girl voice to be like okay no, no that, I think it would, add, it would add so much terror to that situation uh, but again that is another element where I think that Jamie Clayton knocks it out of the fucking park because um, Pinhead in this movie, or the priest, as they are known, they are not. They do not have a particularly menacing voice. They're very soft-spoken. Mm-hmm. They're very uh, eloquent. They speak like a pastor, like every, a priest. Every they time talk you, like a preacher. Every time you say priest, right? mm-hmm. the only the first thing that comes to my mind is Matt Berry in IT Crowd. At the funeral, going, Fuck you, speak, priest! 
fuck you for putting that in my head. <laughs> Imagine Matt. I was going to watch that film again at some point. Imagine I'm Matt gonna... Berry and Hellraiser. <laughs> oh. The slap fight stays the same though. It's just him and Ben just fucking. Hellraiser 2. Yeah. <laughs> the rise of Berry. Cast Matt Berry <laughs> Hellraiser 2. Fucking do it, you cowards. Um, there yeah. is going to be a Hellraiser TV show. Yes. And Maybe he can be in that. Perhaps, yeah. <laughs> uh, is that going to follow this continuity or know. is it a sort of chucky situation where I have we have no idea. Uh, it following the OG? I don't know. I don't know. I haven't read into it. The only thing I hope they don't do is what they did on the Exorcist TV show, which is where mostly in season one, season two didn't really have anything to do with it. But in season one of the Exorcist show, which was okay, you should give it a watch if you want, they did this whole thing where it's like this family you know just his regular family the exorcism stuff happens and then well in like one of the last few episodes you know the main character turns around played by Gina Davis turns around and is like yo I was Reagan the whole time and it's just kind of oh okay yeah that so if they do this whole thing where it's like hey I was Kirsty Cotton the whole time I'd be like okay bring Kirsty in by, by all means but just don't do that I'll be honest I was waiting for a legacy cast member to so was that. because it just happens all the time because <laughs> we've been so trained by these this recent sort of spat of not even just horror remakes but just reboots in general and legacy movies mm-hmm. to have some kind of fucking cameo or side character be like turn up and be like hello I am Kirsty Cotton hello I am my, Laurie Strode my first I am fucking were... Uh, sissy SpaceX character and fucking whatever. My first uh, thoughts were yeah. right, right at the beginning of the movie. There's a character called um, Joey. Yes. <laughs> My first thoughts was, oh god, have they uh, done a, a gender bending swap of like Joey from Hellraiser Three, the the journalist? Is this guy going to be an investigative journalist looking into this guy? But no, it wasn't. But that would have been kind of cool. It's <laughs> like, wait a minute. <laughs> you have to admit that would have been pretty cool. Yeah. Also, I wish right because you see them doing this in this movie. I wish this was a thing. Uh, they're looking on Google about what about who Voight is, and it just comes up going like occult collector Voight. And I'm like, I wish I could just search up occult collector on Google, and it's just some massive millionaire guy who's like, yeah, I collect occult shit. That'd be cool. You probably could. No, I probably could, but you never see it. Yeah, because you've never done it. Do you think they are actually having weird sex parties like that? Yes. Hmm. I I could... Come on to fuck. Okay, one second. There is going to be a cut here in the script, editing Ben. What I'm about to say should not fucking make it in. Yeah, so, ben, ben just informed me of a bit. He just reminded me of a bunch of weird sex shit. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, these weird sex parties do happen in real life. And they are much more fucking dark. All I'll say is, you know, Gary Glitter's a scumbag, but Rock and Roll Part 2 is a fucking beast of a song. Fuck you. (laughs) It is though. (laughs) No, more so for your wording. What did you describe that song as? A beast of a song. (laughs) Who sung it? Oh, Gary a beast. <laughs> that's more of a... Yeah. <laughs> you fucking fanny. It's a good oh. song. No. No, it's not. Yeah, it is. No. I just, right. Have you not heard it? I've heard it. It's in Joker when he's dancing on the stairs. Yeah. But, like, the fact that it's him, I can't fucking get over it. 
It's the same reason why I can't listen to fucking Marilyn Manson tunes anymore after all the shit came out about mm. him. It just feels fucking creepy. Yeah, that's true. You know what I mean? Like, ah. Yeah, <laughs> anyway. Uh, fucking, what, what part? What were we even fucking talking we're about? We're kind of jumping all over the place, to be honest. But, uh, yeah. I'll be honest, I'm, I feel sad now. Um, <laughs> no. This is, okay, right, you know what? This will raise my fucking spirits a little bit. Uh, the soundtrack for this film. Holy shit! I am in love with this film's score. Isn't this film score just the score from the original? No, it is not. There was bits from it. There are. It's right. This film is taken back from the original. The original score is in this film in the same way that the opening to Psycho is in Reanimator. <laughs> there are they just, added, they just added drums yes there are very <laughs> there are very clear homages to the original score throughout this film uh, but Ben Lovett the composer for this particular picture did do an, for the most part original score for this film and oh my fucking god it is some of the best horror music mm-hmm. I have heard since, again, going back to John Carpenter, since the likes of uh, what, The Thing and Halloween. What I would like, I like the Hellraiser soundtrack, fine enough. But what I would like is for the original vision of that soundtrack to come to be in a movie, right? Initially, that sound that... Wasn't it or, done by a band? By yeah, so, so yeah. initially that orchestral version was just a sort of re- backup replacement. Because yes. initially, uh, Clive Barker wanted uh, the group, the industrial group Coil, to do the soundtrack. Yes. And they did. They produced the soundtrack to it. They showed it to the producers, and apparently it was horrifying. Like, in a good way, I suppose. But uh, but it was too horrifying. Yeah, so they didn't use to it. To the point where, when they showed that to the other producers, Clive himself fucking loved it. And to this day, champions that soundtrack. Yeah. However, the actual... Who was it that put, put Hellraiser out? Was it New Line? It wasn't New Line. No, New World. New World. Um, the execs at New World took one listen to it and thought... I say execs, Roger Corman. Yeah, Roger Corman <laughs> basically took one look at that and thought, no one's going to fucking watch this picture. They are going to hear that opening track and fucking run. Yeah. That is not, and that is not a good thing for our film. If you haven't listened to Coil, listen to Coil. Those yeah, they're great. Are, one of those guys was in uh, Throbbing Gristle. <laughs> so, you know. Yeah, <laughs> fucking good man. Listen to that shit. Yeah. <sighs> Again, just with the soundtrack of this film, it is so... And it goes hand in... The excellent soundtrack is only complemented by the cinematography by Eli Bourne. For there are so many wonderful establishing shots uh, in this mm. film. Uh, particularly of the mansion towards the end where you see like the kind of the cage surrounding it and whatnot where it is just oh my and the lighting as well is yeah. so fucking good speaking of the the mansion and the cage mm-hmm. you don't think this movie is kind of a small amalgamation of two or three Hellraiser movies with just ideas oh yes yeah the actual like the trophy room that you see at the start is it's very Hellraiser 4 2 I was thinking more along. Oh right, well, yeah, the building, the building, the, yeah. yeah. But I was thinking more along lines of like all these different uh, cult objects have been. Oh no, I was thinking, I was thinking of four when you see all the different puzzle boxes. That's some two. What you see, like nine different puzzle boxes? Was yeah. that two? Mm-hmm. 
Well, that was four. He goes into Sherrard's office at his house. Yeah, oh fuck, yeah, you're right. The building's four. That's what I'm thinking. The fucking building in the spaceship as well. Yeah. That's right, I'm getting confused. Anyway, but yeah, there are, that is kind of an amalgamation. I also thought, right, this, is probably, this is probably bullshit, but I also thought, um, so when they get pricked by the box and then they start seeing the Cenobites just out the corner of their eyes, yes. did you not think that was very much like the uh, uh, the shitty directed DVD Hellraiser movies where they just kind of catch little glimpses of them and then they, <laughs> that's like the most you see of them? <laughs> It was less like that, although I can see why you're making that comparison. Mm. Uh, I would be, I personally, I would be hesitant to draw a line between those oh, yeah. two. Oh, yeah, I don't think it was. Where, I think it was just like a, it's, just, it's a horror trope. But yeah. I was just sit there, like, oh, this is very much like yeah, fucking Hellraiser. One is secret. <laughs> one is very clearly intentional, and the other is our costumes for these guys are fucking shit. So we're gonna hide that by showing you them for like two frames and then running away. Although I will say that in those direct DVD movies, I can't remember exactly which one it was. Chapter is just a torso, and that was actually quite terrifying. So I mean, yeah, but there's still those movies. Yeah, but um, we'll we'll no doubt talk about those in more detail later on at some point because I do have. We do both have our own thoughts only, and on Hellraiser. So the only good things, the only good things that the Hellraiser sequels gave us, past two, or three, three is okay. The only, thing, the only good things the Hellraiser sequels gave us past three, right? Three things: Adam Scott, yes, <laughs> Scott Derrickson, okay, and Henry Cavill, <laughs> yes. Yeah, and Henry Cavill in Hellworld, yeah, the fucking gaming one. <laughs> the gaming one, yeah. yeah, with Lance Henriksen. Oh yeah, I forgot he was in that. <laughs> he just looks dead inside the whole time. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, how much of that is the <laughs> film was bad, and how much of that is just fucking Lance Henriksen? Does he just kind of have that look about him these days, man? He never like, got over Pumpkinhead. <laughs> no, my uh, fuck you. Pumpkinhead was fun. Pumpkinhead was fun, but he just got too deep into. Yeah, he did. Yeah, my boy, my boy, my boy. <laughs> can't even remember if he says it like that. I don't think he even says that. But you know. I don't think the line, my boy, is anywhere in that film, but it's oh, fucking boy. funny. My <laughs> <laughs> boy. He was just crying because he realised he was going to be in fucking Hellraiser sequels. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> the... Well, you can keep that. <laughs> yeah, so we'll move on to... So now that we're kind of into... Sort of gen, like we're kinda, we've talked about more specific stuff. So we've talked about the general stuff leading up to now. <laughs> Fuck you. Everything you say that, I'm going to break. <laughs> You're going to keep some of these in. <laughs> I'm going to keep all of them, my boys, in. They're all coming in because I fucking find it funny. <laughs> I don't care if anyone else who listens to this enjoys it. That <laughs> makes... <laughs> Hellraiser, my boy. <laughs> you make it sound like you're his dad. <laughs> Hellraiser, my boy. How are you? <laughs> oh, last I seen you was at Granny's funeral. How are you doing, my boy? <laughs> I'm Lance Henriksen. My boy. I'm Lance Henriksen of throat cancer. Oh, no. Too soon. <laughs> my boy. <laughs> Why did he sound happy that time? <laughs> It's the hell priest! <laughs> you can bring back my boy! Those little hipsters killed him. 
Oh, oh fuck, my cheeks hurt. Right, okay. Right. Let's get into the story. Composure. <laughs> Composure. So, uh, right. <laughs> You're going to need to take over from Jacob. <laughs> you just take the lead, man. I'm fucking going. So, yeah, the film starts with like a, a weird sex party, which is pretty cool. Um, not the not the horrifying kind, but you know. Uh, yes, yes. Actually, that's a lie. The film starts in Serbia, of all places. Uh, yes, and it is a what? Can I just say the way that 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 full segment is shot is? I know I've basically just been fucking sucking the dick of this movie for the entirety of this podcast, but my god, like for those of you who are not like who aren't understanding why I'm so fucking hyped about this. We have not had a good Hellraiser movie in decades. And this motherfucker came out and just done this opening. <laughs> from the opening shot, from the cold open of this movie, I it think sets the, the tone perfectly. I did think the music at this point was a bit over the top. Though, it's, it, does the, it did the whole Inception thing, but it's just, a, it's just showing a building. <laughs> This is the thing though, I like that, because you know what I thought I was instantly reminded of when that was happening? What? Candyman. I was reminded of Candyman too, but and not at that qu- point. The, not at that the, point. The, the choral kind of soundtrack of that, <laughs> uh, when that came through, that really reminded me of that, that opening shot. I'm pretty, <laughs> sure, having my, I'm pretty sure in my notes. I was reminded of Candyman when he was in the public toilet, but you yeah. know. <laughs> Yeah, I've I've actually I've actually made a similar note to yourself. I'm gonna read this word for word because of how fucking eerie it is. Um opening shot is gorgeous, soundtrack is very Hans Zimmer. Uh, is what I've wrote there, yeah. which again he done the soundtrack for Inception. Our 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 notes in this are very different. Ben yeah. is taking on Ben is taking some very thorough notes. I have I love this. I love Hellraiser so much. So, so after after the the big main scene in the uh, in the at the the mansion where uh, Joey the random guy gets fucking chained up by the the chain hooks. Yes. Um, uh, ben has was no with my we're, notes. Yeah, we're, we're yeah, and then we'll go on to yours. So uh, after the cold open. We immediately go into a sex scene between our two main characters, Riley yeah, and Trevor. It's quite well Trevor. between, you know. Uh, what, what I have here is screams leading into the pleasure of sex scene are very Barker-esque. And I stand by that. It is a yeah, very... It's very true. It's a true statement. <laughs> that, that sort of blending the line between pleasure and pain uh, has always has been a Barker, um, is a Barker staple mm. in almost all of his works. Now, uh, what was your reaction to this scene, Jacob? Good old ball slapping fuck sesh. Yep. Because you do hear some uh, Both, slappy slappy. Y- yes, you do. Both statements factually accurate. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it was uh, also like two o'clock in the morning when I was watching this movie, so you know. <laughs> don't, don't use it as an excuse. You'd have fucking wrote that at two in the afternoon, you dick. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I probably would have. I also have a note that just says who hasn't ingested floor drugs, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> Don't set me off again. We're gonna. This, this is gonna be a fucking. Who has a chest of floor drugs, my boy? I hope the mic picked that uh, up. It did. Just to fill some uh, dead air, uh, I found floor drugs once. It was a. Uh, it was a. Uh, it was a. Uh, 
a, a box of uh, what do you call them? Let's move on. Diazepam. Let's move on. Uh, before you say something that will incriminate you, um, they can't prove it. <laughs> you just confessed. I confessed to a lot of things, but they can't prove it. Fuck you. <laughs> so, uh, the music from the party scene, the kind of. Uh, the piano mixed with little hints of EDM in there. Yeah, I want my wonderful. I want my industrial fueled Hellraiser movie. We haven't had one yet. Well, uh, three is kind of there, but it's but it's metal. It's no industrial there. Yeah, it's so, armored saint. Yeah, the the soundtrack is wonderful, and th- this this opening scene is when we get our introduction to not the lament configuration, and this version. This is the. At this point, it is the Lazarus configuration. Mm. But this also leads me to another thing I, I want in a Hellraiser movie eventually. There's a few things I want in, Hellra- in a Hellraiser movie. They kind of did it in Hellraiser 4, but it was terrible. I want just a, a thing that shows how the box was made. It doesn't have to be the same thing like they did in 4 or some French guy making it. It could be anything. I just want to see where this thing comes from. Instead of being handed to him by a Kavorka man from Serbia, you know? See, but... I'm going to be perfectly honest with you here. I say that as if I've been fucking lying up to this point. Mm. I do not ever want to know how the box was made. Mm. Reason being, that is part of what makes it so fucking terrifying. The fact that these beings are from an unknown dimension. Their god is a fucking shape. Uh... Which we, which is beyond our comprehension. Um, being in the presence of said God will send anyone insane. Sound familiar? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and what is one of the number one criticisms of most Lovecraftian media? It cannot be... I cannot describe it. It shows too much. Yeah. Or it tries to describe something that literally is supposed to be indescribable. So for me, while Hellraiser 4 is fine in its own way and showing the construction of the box and having it be a somewhat human thing is, uh, and works for that film's plot and for that version of the Hellraiser story, in this film where we are leaning much more heavily into the Lovecraftian elements of this picture to the point of even, as we said, setting it in fucking Massachusetts, mm-hmm. I think that the origins of the box should remain unknown for as long as is possible mm. it should remain unknown and if we do find out what the bo- how the box was made that should be the end of this version of the franchise that should be the final thing we learn is who made the box why was it made that it should be the ending of this version of Hellraiser Oh my god, Adam Scott commissioned the box. Adam Scott commissioned the box by some cunt that looks a wee bit like Da Vinci. Uh, <laughs> that's it. Hmm. I say that. Yeah, he did, didn't he? That's a bit, yeah. <laughs> See? It's just something, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, anyway, it, back to uh, the Lazarus configuration as it is at this stage. I really enjoy this design of the box. The trailer made it seem like this was going to be what the box is now. Yeah, it just changes up. However, the fact that the box changes between 
um, six different stages, those being lament. You see, you see one of these changes in the original movie. It's, um, remember when the Kirsty stabbed him all? The very end, yes, we see the Leviathan configuration, but that's yeah, it. she stab him? I can't remember. It says in there. She, yeah. It's, it's in so, one of the movies. I think it's in the yes. second one. Um, we see there are six configurations in total. There is lament, which is the box that we are more than familiar with. Mm-hmm. There is lore, which is a sort of almost pyramid-esque looking thing. Then there is uh, Laudorant, followed by Liminal, Lazarus, and then finally Leviathan, Mm. (laughs) which is its final form. Do you think all these uh, Gen Z people are going to get the Liminal one? I want to go into the back rooms, Mr. Hill Priest. No. (laughs) Send uh, me to the back room. Each one of these configurations is set to a different prize, which you may claim from the Cenobites should you complete the puzzle box. Uh, Lament is tied with life. Lore is tied with knowledge. Laudorant with love. Liminal is tied to sensation. Uh, Lazarus with resurrection. And finally, Leviathan with power. So what you're saying is that these, uh, (laughs) that the lore one is just these endings explained YouTube channels but demonic. I pretty much yeah. Um, hey guys, welcome to Fabflix. Laura's <laughs> just—it's just that guy. It's just, <laughs> just it, Laura's just found Flix explains what just happened to you. Uh, <laughs> that's what it, you just got your throat ripped out. Found Flix just comes out and just goes, "Well, all your friends are dead." Uh, <laughs> well, all your friends are dead, and uh, all, your, all your friends are dead, and you're a smackhead now. So that's <laughs> James A. Genies comes out to us. What time on average they died? Yeah. <laughs> it's James A. Denise, Found Flix, and Matt Pat all show up. Oh. <laughs> yeah, if you pick law. <laughs> Oh no. Your friend John got the golden chainsaw. (laughs) (laughs) And it's rounded off by fucking Carl from Fact Fiend coming on and going, by the way, did you know (laughs) that during the production of this film, that during the production of this film, you lost your house? Fucking what? (laughs) (laughs) Not only were your friend's souls repossessed, your house got repossessed. Your friends were possessed and your house was repossessed. God damn it! <laughs> your house was repossessed, starring Wesley Nielsen. No! Oh, good lord. No! <laughs> Not Nielsen. <laughs> James E. Janice's points out, he goes and. Oh, what's the, what's the bad prize he gives them? Uh, the Rusty Chainsaw. The Rusty Chainsaw goes to you! You're gonna die of old age! Oh, shit. <laughs> but, oh. um, anyway. So, what the fuck were we even talking about? Yeah, the Lament configuration itself. Um, All four of your friends died, which leaves us with a kill on average. (laughs) (laughs) God fucking damn it. Every time I go to continue this, you fucking derail me. To be fair, I've derailed you on numerous occasions when we're fucking talking about Dark Star, so that's fine. My boy. Fuck you. (laughs) I'm holding it together. Um, so the research scene in which we find all this out about the lament configuration, I thought was very well done. Yeah, I could, I could relate heavily to this scene. I spent uh, all of Hall- was it Halloween? 
I think it was Halloween. I didn't go out on Halloween. I spent my entire time uh, just kind of sipping on some uh, room temperature beer and reading a lot of high strangeness things. So, yeah, I could relate to that. Have you ever gone down a deep research rabbit hole of weird shit? Yes, I have. Uh, Yeah, that's Mm. all I'll say about that. Ever heard of... uh, uh, don't I swear to fuck if you turn to me and say, "Have you ever been to Juarez?" I'm gonna fucking <laughs> slap you. No, no. I was just, I was just trying to think. I was like, "Don't laugh at the name of this," but it's kind of a funny name. You ever heard of Mel's Hole? <laughs> no, I've I've heard of the Blue Hole in Jersey. Oh no, this whole belonged to no, this whole belonged to a guy named Mel. <laughs> no shit. He had a hole in his Mel's hole. Mel's hole belonged to Mel. What the fuck? No, he had a he had a hole in his property that like it was endless. Like they just kept dropping trash down there. They couldn't. There was just no end to it. And then the government came to a shit. Yeah, deep uh, deep rabbit hole research. I go on. I know exactly what uh, Riley's doing. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, back to what we're saying about the fucking film. You asshole. Was that the. Uh, the film in general has a fantastic grip on um, its atmosphere and the tone that it wants to create and how it wants to make you as the viewer feel during every scene. I, I would agree up to a point. Up until I would, the I would, Not the ending. I would agree up until uh, they're in the mansion the first time after she's been reading it and her pals come try and find her. Because to me, that whole bit where you know they find the the... the where Nora gets trapped in the, the mm-hmm. wall and there's the whole thing behind the bar. That just reminds me of the just reminds me of just like Scooby Doo. I was just sitting there going like I can't tell if this is going to be funny now. Or... You watched this when you were sleep deprived though. Yeah <laughs> that's true. <laughs> so you're you're at that point you probably were a little bit unhinged, let's be honest. Mm, unhinged and full of Italian food, yes, I was. Jesus Christ, that's the name of your autobiography, my guy. <laughs> Unhinged and full of pasta. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, just Italian food, not even pasta. Because it, no, well, it was pasta. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, you had ravioli. I had lobster ravioli that night. Mm. Mm, <laughs> Stop making me hungry. I've not had my dinner yet, you asshole. And white bait. Mm. So I'm not going to repeat the joke I said earlier about oh, the white bait. Fucking by all means, go for it. It's staying in if you do. I can't do it anymore because I don't have the same cadence, but uh, it was good. <laughs> it was a good joke. Leave it then. Leave it then. Uh, <laughs> we can't catch lightning in a bottle twice. Um, so, the research scene in particular, that could have been so fucking boring so easily. And they they managed to escape the trapping of... Uh, see, this is where I thought we were going to get a cameo. As they were looking out for shit. Or they find a newspaper clipping and it would be like, eh, this local girl, Kirsty Cotton. Either that, or they were going to hunt down an occult researcher and he'd be played by Clive Barker. Kind of similar to what they've done in... Or, uh, what's his name? Like, uh, other films like it. Or uh, the guy that played Pinhead in the original ones. Uh, Doug Bradley. Yeah, you see him doing it. <laughs> I could see, yeah, I was waiting on, like, Doug Bradley being, like, in the hospital or something as, like, an orderly, but it never happened. Mm-hmm. And uh, I hope it doesn't happen in the sequel. Don't get me wrong. I fucking love Doug yeah. Bradley. Uh, he's got a he's got a YouTube channel where he reads horror books and they're fucking great. Does he? Yeah. <laughs> he's he's got he's got a full series where he reads through Mary Shelley's Frankenstein and his voice is quite frankly hypnotising. I fell asleep to it on numerous occasions. It's great. Do you know he used to be in a Bistol Gravy advert? That's hilarious. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> we have such stocks to show you. <laughs> stock trading? No, like <laughs> stocks. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. Fuck you. We have such flavours to show you. <laughs> oh, <laughs> God. See, when you cook it wrong, we have such shites to show you. <laughs> oh. oh, well. No more tears. It's <laughs> a <So laughs> waste of good suffering. <laughs> 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 Arse with a pan heater of the sink. <laughs> Shouting on Huey and Ralph. It's just <laughs> butterballs making the food chatterers just sitting at the table back and going, <laughs> Why did we just turn the Cenobites into the fucking Sawyer family? <laughs> no, we just turned the Cenobites into a fucking family from Coronation Street, you know? But yeah. Us, <laughs> <Arse> child. <laughs> Good lord. But, uh... Oh, fuck. Where were we? Right, here's something I want to talk about. Yeah. So, we only really see this in the first movie, if I'm... Well, you can't see it in the second one. But when the puzzle box is solved, mm-hmm. you get that whole bit in the first movie where Kirstie's in the hospital, she solves the puzzle box, and the wall of the hospital opens up. Yes. They did that so much better in these in this movie. Oh my <laughs> fucking God, yes. <laughs> Do I even have that in my notes? They've yes. Been, they did it a few times as well. <laughs> yes. Uh, the effects of... What I've got is the effects from the shifting world of hell uh, yeah. are so fucking good. It's amazing. But I want to know, though. Go I on. have a question, though. Mm-hmm. So we see when uh, Nora's pricked by the... Well, she's more pricked. She's fucking stabbed by the box. Yeah, like, she gets stabbed in the back, dude. It's lodged in her. <laughs> yeah. But when but we're in the, when they're in the van and driving away, then the reality starts to shift. Right, but here's my question. <laughs> so, they're in the van, they're trying to drive away, and they, they keep going in circles because I guess, you know, reality shifted, you know? So, when that lawyer, when Voight's lawyer uh, gets pricked by it, and then reality starts warping, yes. I think there's just some, like, hospital doctors and orderlies just walking about being like, where the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> just being like, where's room 2A? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm supposed to be in the theatre doing a heart transplant what the fuck why am I in the canteen <laughs> I can't leave who oh comes? <laughs> my shift ended and I can't leave just like that old gypsy woman said <laughs> just turning into thinner <laughs> no I was I was more going for Archer but yeah <laughs> but then like and then and then when uh, when reality starts to shift around her there's that other guy in the hospital bed in the same room that she's in what happens to him? Does he see shit? <laughs> My theory is that that was the beginning of her transition and that was actually the asphyx. Because mm. you see him kind of like coughing and or either the asphyx or the weeper. The asphyx. Yeah. Asphyx. Asphyx, yeah. yeah. It's, just oh, the the it's just the way you said it. Yeah, the asphyx, you know. And asphyx is also the name of a really good death metal band. You should give them a listen. Oh, okay. but, uh, <laughs> but Yeah, the, the asphyx, sorry. Yeah. I just know and all like my theory is that that's one of the Cenobites just fucking with her at that point. Yeah. <laughs> with uh yeah, with Voights and, and then and then uh so if we were to be watching one of these people as mm-hmm. they're getting taken away, like Nora for instance, if somebody was watching her in the van, would she just kind of disappear in the blink of an eye or would she just Uh we see it happen. I must have looked away at that point. I must have been we, not to Nora, but we see it happen to um, 
I can't remember who, but someone at that point in the film where they just disappeared and there's a big... No, it's not a... Um, she just effectively disappears and there's a big fucking splat of blood where she was and it looks like she's just like been launched mm. out of the van and then disappears out of nowhere. Because I do remember when with that guy right in the cold open, uh, yes. he gets taken away by a bunch of chains, but that doesn't happen again, so I don't know. I think the reason for us seeing that is that at that point in the story, we are viewing this through Voight's eyes. Yeah. And uh, also, this is the final configuration, so the Cenobites are at their most powerful, and as such, they are able to enter our world and be seen by others. Also, also when Chatter gets taken away by the fucking chains and ripped apart and stuff, I think he's into that. When the Cenobites That's get, the whole fucking point. I know, I know, but when the Cenobites get it, they think like, ah, oh, finally, I've been waiting for this. Yes, that's the whole fucking point. Mm. You see him, like, welcome death as he goes into it, and it's a wonderful uh, little bit of foreshadowing for the ending. And the fact that even the Cenobites themselves are victims in mm. all this. I want to see Void Cenobite come back. I want to see what he does now. I really fucking don't. I'll be honest, I did not like that ending. Yeah, where he turns into, like, angel Cenobite. He turns into the new Chatterers, essentially, is what they're hinting at when they rip his mouth open and shit. No, I thought he looked a bit more angelic, but I don't know. Well, yeah, that's just because he's on the slab at that point in the fucking, like, their version of heaven. (laughs) Did you notice also... Yeah, you get a a dick shot in this movie, but did you notice also uh, when he starts getting flayed by it, his dick just kind of disappears? Yeah, because they literally cut it off. Yeah, it goes well. You see it go down. Yeah, <laughs> just kind of sinks. <laughs> yeah, <sighs> that's again in in service to my point of the the Cenobites are all agendered mm. to a certain degree. I wish we also saw because we see it in Hellraiser too, but I also wish we saw more of the the labyrinth. Um, again, because in Hell like... well in Hellraiser two you see it, but you don't see too much of it. It's just kind of corridors. But I would like to see. A bit of what goes on in there. Maybe not like day-to-day like, lives yeah. in the Cenobites, but like, you know, I just want to see like... Even, I wouldn't even go as far as to see. I wouldn't even want a chase scene through the labyrinths, man. I just like... that. Just that shot of the labyrinth surrounding the mansion alone. Uh, again, fantastic cin- cinematography on that. That's enough for me. That's all mm. I need to see is, is that. Because that's one of the... And it's a trap that this film itself actually kind of falls into towards the end, unfortunately, uh, where it becomes effectively a creature feature. And it is the main characters, all of them <laughs> yes. can see the Cenobites. Becomes Hellraiser 3. <laughs> yeah, all of the Cenobites are now visible to everyone, mm. which personally I'm not a massive fan of. It doesn't stop me from still thinking this film is fantastic and still can recommend it wholeheartedly. At least they weren't... Yeah, they could be seen by everybody, but at least they weren't doing the Hellraiser 3 thing where it was just, they're killing everybody. They're only killing the people who have been... That have been marked, yeah. yeah. But even even at that, it was still, to me... Look, we were talking about this earlier on uh, today. Um, it follows. Mm-hmm. I feel like that thing of only the victim can see it is much more effective if that if that theming was kept to, mm-hmm. I feel like we could have been much more... We could have seen something much better. Because, hear me out, right? Because we don't see a kill like this in this film, unless I'm misremembering something. And I wish to God we did. 
where we see everything from their point of view numerous times. I want one kill. If there is a next, if their next Hellraiser movie, I want one kill where all we see is what everyone else around them is seeing. We don't see chains. We don't see any major wounds opening up. It's just a like I mean, kind of similar to Nightmare on Elm Street. kind of Nora. Yeah, but it, we still yeah. see what they're doing to her, which is great for Nora because again they're revealing. See, this is the kind of the sort of corner that they paint themselves in with the Hellraiser movies is that they go, they do too much too soon, mm. and that I feel like that Nora kill should have been that should have been Void's fate to me. Is that rather than being transformed just by another worldly force, it should have been the Cenobites themselves mm. actually peeling away at his sin and like, you know, stitching them and taking out their own pins and putting them in him and all that kind of thing. That's what that should have been for me. Yeah, I was also wondering why do all the Cenobites have pins in them? I thought it was just a pinhead thing. But... Um, originally it was, but in this, it's uh, because in the original they were they would be wearing leather with various different accoutrements to keep mm. them in pain. The pins in this film serve to keep the flesh in place where it needs to be. So that's why, when specifically when you see the Weeper's hands coming apart, that's what the pins are for, because otherwise yeah. they would just fall apart. Do you not think that bit of Nora's death, though, where you see the inside of her throat? That was pretty cool. Oh, that is... <laughs> you know what it reminded me of, actually? The thing. And I'll tell you for why. Um, there is a wonderful sound effect that this film and the thing share in common. It's like I screwed. And it is the warped <laughs> screams as the vocal cords are stretched. Because you see it in the thing when the sort of spider demon thing, the guy that gets the guy whose chest opens up in the operating table, mm. when his head stretches and sort of splits off. As he's screaming, you can hear the scream go up and up and up and up and up in pitch until it becomes this weird otherworldly noise. And then the head snaps off as the vocal folds are stretched out and stretched out and stretched out. The same thing happens to Nora as Mm. uh, the priest uh, basically plays her throat like an instrument at that point. She even makes a comment about the music of it. There's uh, another really good effect of like the vocal cords getting fucked with that. And, um, well, it's in one of the George A. Romero Dead movies. I can't remember which one it is. Um, something gets their throat torn out, and they they're they're uh, when they're screaming, it kind of goes higher pitch, and it just kind of stops. <laughs> um, I think uh, it was either that was day, surely that was Day of the Dead. It was either Day or Dawn. Right? It was Day. Yeah. What's the one with um, the the mad military guy, the sergeant? No, oh, Day. Yeah. Yeah, it was Day of the Dead because it was Chow got it. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, it was him. <laughs> well, it was, yeah, because when his throat's getting out, he's like, choke on it! And he yeah. goes like higher pitch and higher pitch and higher pitch, and then his head's off. And uh, what's his name? Stubbs, I want to say. The zombie? It's, no, Stubbs is the zombie of a video game. Um, what's the fucking zombie? I can't remember what his name is, but. Yeah. I, the guy that, like, I think I. My theory is he served under the military guy at one I point or another. I wanted five Frankenstein. Yeah. <laughs> and I want to know what the fuck you're doing with my time. Yeah, he's, uh, he's, uh, he's, he's cool. <laughs> yeah, he's great. But anyway, <laughs> Joe Powell. So yeah, that particular... That, for me, should have been what happened to Voight. But uh, 
There is another element of this film, while we're on this kind of subject, and we've come to the the Roland or Robert Voigt or whatever his fucking name was again. Roland, not mm-hmm. Robert. Roland. Roland, yeah. Uh, his ending, personally, for me at least, the film should have ended earlier. Because it is there a is movie. what could no because there is one not much earlier. I wouldn't cut much from this film. There's very little fat on it, I would say. There is just such a haunting fucking line that does not get the chance to breathe because of the following scene. What did you do? Riley replies, I made a choice. Mm-hmm. To which Colin asks her, was it the right one? And there is silence for about a split second. <laughs> and it hangs and then immediately we're taken to see Voight's torture and his uh, thing for me that should have been credits there that's where if I was the editor for this film that's where I finish it is was it the right one leave it leave it leave it credits mm. roll through silence like the cred- there's no music behind the credits just have it be silent for the first like yeah, minute just, or so yeah just have Voight take away by that massive chain it's fine yeah, him ha- being taken away by the chain, I have no issue with. Like, that is fine. Leaving his fate up to the imagination <laughs> would have been better for me, at least. Yeah, I mean, the effect of it was cool, though, but you didn't really well, like, see it's it. It's a fantastic yeah. effect. It was, just, it was just essentially a more fucked up version of the... Uh... Jesus wept scene. No, I was going to say it's a more fucked up version of, of uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey where you're seeing everything. Oh, yeah. Wow. Oh, no. <laughs> That is an effect I like. See that scene on its own, I do think is fantastic, and I can see why they kept it in, because again, it aids to the whole point they're trying to make of this being a Lovecraftian story, of mm. it being these otherworldly creatures with knowledge far beyond human comprehension, and his reaction to that, and then the eyes turning to that black and blue, sort of cenobite color. Mm-hmm. Oh, chef's kiss! Mwah. Fucking beautiful. Love it. But was it as good as Dr. Shinar getting a giant penis attached to his head and going... I'm offended that you would even suggest that. (laughs) They're different types of good, I I would say. They're different types of good in the same way that these are different adaptations of this moot, of Hellbound Heart. I used to have that book. And, I, and you never fucking read it. I had the try. I had the chance to read it a ton. I I I had it. I lent it a few times to some people. Then I lent it to my previous flatmate before uh, they moved out, <laughs> and they took it with them. <laughs> so no hellbound heart for me. Do you think you're ever getting that back? No, no, probably not. <laughs> Fair. They took my fucking creator vinyl as well. I had a uh, cause for conflict on vinyl, and they fucking took it. This is getting cut. Uh, she used to bring back floor drugs. Fuck's sake. From Swedge. <laughs> I just keep picturing... I just keep picturing James A. Janice in the fucking box room in the, in the mansion. Just sitting there, like, whenever everybody dies, just sitting there like, Well, this has been the kill count! <laughs> like, oh, man. <laughs> oh... <laughs> We've lost him, ladies uh, and gentlemen, and everyone in between. We have lost them. Lads, lassies, and non-binary masses, we have fucking lost them. <laughs> Binary masses, where they just 
Flesh mountains? What the fuck? <laughs> they are legion. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, fuck. But yeah, so... Uh, with the only major criticism I have of this film is the ending. And kind of certain elements of the, the Voight storyline. Uh, I like the idea of the of Trevor's betrayal and kind of leading them to the box. That was fun. I still don't really know what his end goal was. Was it just money? Trevor was... Well, it's stated by Voight that it's a better deal than he ever would have gotten in his miserable life. So it's just money. Which states to me that it is not just money. Rather, he was in a fucking state before he met Voight. I.e., like, there's a reason that his character is in a 10-step program or 12-step program or whatever the fuck, yeah. right? And Voight has essentially given him the funding and opportunities to remove himself from that situation. And so, more so than just money, he is kind of honour-bound, in a sense, to because Voight has saved him. Uh, albeit for albeit for his own nefarious purposes, but when someone lifts you up from something like that, you're going to be fucking loyal to them because at the end of the day, you wouldn't be about if it wasn't for them. At that point, or at least that was my reading of the the Trevor situation. Mm. And uh, oh no, so there is one other criticism that I kind of have of the film itself, and it's more so. This is much more personal and man thing like my one of the reasons I enjoyed the original Hellraiser so much. There is so little queerness in this movie to the actual, like, with, like, the Cenobites and the plot and whatnot. Yes, it's one of the character of Matt and the characters of Matt and Colin exist. Mm. But it is also an example of one of the worst tropes in cinema these days of kill your gays. If there is a gay in the film, they need to die. At some point, or they need to be comic relief. Put your gaze in the fridge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah fucking fridge, <laughs> fridge the gaze. Exactly. <laughs> We're not saying do that. Please don't do that. No, but as an example of a trope, uh, please that don't exists commit hate crimes. In, in cinema, please don't commit hate crimes. And while while there is that element of it, and this is a diff- again, this is why I'm adamant that it is a different adaptation of the source material, because the the Cenobites in the original. And the book, more so than any other, are very rep- are representative of the denial of gender norms and going against society at the time. And with Clive Barker, who is a gay man, who at the time of writing the book, I believe, was not fully out yet. Well, he was. was. At the time of writing the book, was he fully out? I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Right, okay. As a, a gay man, at that point, it was very much... The Cenobites were who you were kind of rooting for at points because the in order to sell the book he had to have the hero go against them and what have you. But even in that he embedded a very um what was the the word be? Subversive, that's what I'm looking for. A subversive way in which they were taken out. As in horror films at the time, it was always the virginal hero rises up and takes some form of phallic symbol, be it a knife, a spear, something of that nature, to defeat the villain. And this, in the original Hellraiser film, how does Kirsty defeat the Cenobites? In the original? 
She fires a beam of light at him. She closes the box. Oh, right, yeah, I suppose. <laughs> which then is, fires a beam of light at him. <laughs> yeah, which then obviously has its big special effects, but because we need to put bums in seats and keep them there. Big special effects, they were pretty bad. <laughs> For the time, they were good. No, they weren't. <laughs> For the time and the budget, they were fucking great. No. Fuck you, I loved them. Anyway, I, like the, I like the stop motion skeletal dragon at the end. That was pretty cool. But, uh, also random as fuck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also, right, seeing that original movie, sorry to go on a tangent, but seeing that original movie, see the see the field of fire that they're chucking the, the box into? Yeah. Is that supposed to be where the house was? I have no fucking clue. Is there just a field of fire in I London don't somewhere? Know. It's either right, it's either waste ground somewhere with random bits of fucking flame in it, or it's the the remains of the house but the house is shown to be like in the in a nice bit of town in a nice bit of town in the kind of suburbs also it's really weird that movie again we're going on a bit of a tangent but it's really weird that movie the, the movie was filmed entirely in London and you can tell it looks English as fuck but yeah. uh, everybody's speaking with an American accent except for Julia you know, like even the random people in the street you've got the guy wearing the New York Yankees cap just to make it sure that you know that you know you're in Brooklyn he's just wearing <laughs> the New York Yankees cap he's like hey are you alright you know. yeah but, uh, yeah, that's something that personally I felt was missing from this film, uh, especially given, again, with going back to the, the point of much more feminine uh, imagery of closing the box, how is our main threat defeated in this one? He is fucking stabbed <laughs> with the Leviathan configuration. <laughs> Fight the gay, stab him. <laughs> Yeah. Oh no. Which I don't know, man. Again, I'm, I'm just, I'm just your friendly neighborhood bisexual. That's why. Point, that's right? why I say if you if you want a really good queer horror movie, just watch Sleepaway Camp. You know, they're the hero. <laughs> kind of. That's a loaded fucking. <laughs> she kills the bullies. <laughs> My, um. Mm, right. We'll cover Sleepaway Camp later at some point. That is, and we will need to get someone else in for that man because that is not something that we can. As <gasps> two cisgendered men, that is not something that either of us are even close to fucking qualified to talk about. Jesus Christ, man! <gasps> that is, oh, good lord, that movie. Right, anyway, that movie's great. It, it is a great movie. It's, but fuck me, that ending. Um, Eat <laughs> shit and live. <laughs> has such a good eat shit and live <laughs> it also has the smarmiest middle finger known to mankind and like one of the this guy in like a fucking crop top goes, oh, like, yeah, this, yeah, like, the yeah. smarmiest looking face ever I love it it's great also James L. Jones's dad is in it uh, but <laughs> yeah he just laughs off a pedophile oh yeah <laughs> a pedophile who survives the film we don't know that though he could have died from that he could have but like come on man there's, there's people that survive that. Sleepaway yeah. Camp coming soon. <laughs> uh, coming as soon as we can find someone else to fucking comment on that ending. Because I'm not <laughs> touching that with a 10 foot fucking barge pole. <laughs> Simple as that. I'm not looking to get cancelled. Fuck that shit. Uh, <laughs> I don't think we would get cancelled for that to be honest. But... I just I feel woefully uncomfortable. It's less getting cancelled the more I personally Hey, James feel. and Janice talked about it. We can talk about it. It's, it's more that I personally feel woefully unqualified to actually comment on the the ending the way that I would want us to on this show as we do kind of do a bit more. Like, I want to dive a little bit deeper into these horror films because it's one of the 
things about this genre that I personally love. It's one of the reasons why I still watch these movies as an adult. Sure, as a as a fucking teenager and a kid when we first started watching horror movies, and I was reintroduced to the franchise by yourself, uh, as a matter of fact. Um, Halloween. Uh, reintroduced me to her and you were talking about Friday the 13th and shit oh right and uh, that kind of that's what kind of brought me back into horror sure when I was a kid it was all the kind of fantastical elements and the kills and I was fucking obsessed with Freddy Krueger because he was funny Mm. and uh, side note he kind of isn't he really isn't with the exception of a few of the films he really isn't that funny I still like him Oh no, I, I, I like him. He's a Halloween great is the worst but... of the fucking slasher franchises. There, I said it. It fucking sucks. Always has, except for the first one. <laughs> always has, always will. It's the lowest of the low of Halloween does not compare to the lowest of the Texas Chainsaw franchise. That's if we're true. talking about the worst there is, if we're judging horror movies by the worst film they have, Texas Chainsaw, the next generation, fucking text the cake. I would say I would make the argument though that Texas Chainsaw 3D is probably better than some of the direct-to-video Hellraiser movies, though. Yes, it is. So but is Texas Hellraiser 3D then? is not the worst one. So is Hellraiser then the, the worst of the franchises, the big franchise? Would Hellraiser even be considered one of the big franchises? No. It would be considered one of the. It would be considered one of the eighties slashers, but not the originators. As we are talking about the ones, as we are talking about them, I would take into consideration the first four Friday the Thirteenth movies, or even just the first Friday the Thirteenth movie. To be honest, if we're talking about that stage, Black Christmas, Halloween, and Texas Chainsaw. Black Christmas wasn't really a franchise, though. It became one because of its notoriety, with the amount of uh, remakes and whatnot though. it's had. Not in the eighties. I'm just talking about eighties franchises. Oh, if we're just talking about eighties franchises, then would I wouldn't include be, Hellraiser. Would Hellraiser be included in that? Uh, yeah. Hellraiser became Hellraiser came out mid eighties uh, for the original film, and then the franchise really took off with direct to video in the nineties, mm. and direct to DVD as well. Mm. So I don't know. I would put best horror franchise, and I'm not sure if I'm being completely serious about this or not. Phantasm. (laughs) Uh, I can see it honestly. It's batshit. Yeah, those films are fucking brilliant. I have Uh, them all. (laughs) They're fucking glorious. Anyway, back to Hellraiser. Mm. After that fucking half hour tangent. Yeah, there's just there's so much in this film to dive into that if I was to actually, I could very easily sit here and talk about this film for the guts of three hours, I think, honestly, if I was to really get into it and, like, watch it again and sit and take much more detailed notes than I have. Uh, So, in order to stop this episode from being three or four hours fucking long, uh, let's cut to the chase. Favourite scene in the movie? What would you say? Hmm. I think it's a combo of two things. Go on. Uh, I think it's a combination of both the sort of uh, the reality warping scenes of the the lawyer and Nora. I would personally, I would give it more to Nora just because of the extended van. Yeah, but I I just liked how um, I like the lawyer one because you know it's just the you just see the right amount. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, not, not too much. That. Not too much. I'm not that. But for me, the the Nora scene is fantastic. 
that's probably my my favourite scene in the film though is the conversation between the priest and Riley mm. uh, on the bridge when they're talking like Riley gets actually caught by the knife for the first time and is it is really now her or someone else it's like her life is actually on the line now it's not just a case of oh we were supposed to get you it is no bitch we can fucking get you now Hmm. like this is your like wise up we are coming for you (laughs) worst line in the movie though was when um, when Riley and her brother have that argument and she and he gets her kicked out (laughs) she like slams the door and comes back with a rebuttal it just sounds like a fucking 10 year old did it I wish she'd said it earlier. Yeah, it's about fucking time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I remember watching that and be like, oh, get flashbacks to when my sister was a teenager. Yeah. Um, Favourite scene for me is probably Nora's death and the lead up to it as well. Mm. Like, just that. I know it's technically like two or three scenes, but just that whole segment of her being caught in there and being chased by fucking Roland. And again, as you were saying yourself earlier, the way that he moves through those corridors <laughs> and the infernal machine that's embedded in him kind of plays with his nerves and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And uh, also, did you not think that thing kind of looked a bit like a piano? Like the way the strings were kind of set up? Like the nerve I didn't strings? think piano, this is going to be very specific. Go on. I thought it looked like. Uh, did you ever? Did you finish Bioshock Infinite? Yes. Do you remember the thing that's in like those statues that makes the that makes the tune for? Oh shit! Yeah. I thought it looked like one of those. Like but, a music yeah. box almost. Yeah. Like, yeah. I thought it looked like one of those. But no, I, f- I feel that. Yeah, that's yeah. It does feel like a, do, 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 a music do, 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 do. box. Yeah. Yeah. Fucking songbird comes down. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's that's a good one. Yeah. But uh, just that whole segment for me is just like. I, I did think that was one of the worst effect shots though. What was? <laughs> the thing's coming down and it's spinning. Uh, that goes into Voight. The Leviathan? Yeah, the, the thing no, the, the, the thing that's causing him pain. Oh, that? Yeah, when it's when it's coming down and he's telling the story about how it got there. You know? I don't mind that that and is it's much. coming down and then you don't see it, all you hear is the noise and then it's in him. <laughs> I like that though. I like that a bit more. It kind of adds to the whole... I was like, oh, the Thing budget, they didn't have the budget for that. <laughs> I feel like that that one... Was this a high-budget movie? Was this a... It was a mid-budget movie. Mm. Uh, it started life as a low-budget movie, and then Hulu picked it up and gave was it a this... much-needed cash injection. Was this even going to come out in cinema? Well, no, it, should... it was going to be direct-to-video until Hulu picked it up. And then there was talks of it coming into cinemas, but then Hulu decided, wait a minute... Uh, we kind of have fuck all on our streaming service at the moment and um, we we need something big uh, because Prey done really well so let's just fuck this thing Prey on there. Prey was Hulu as well, wasn't it? What? Prey was Hulu as well, wasn't it? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, Prey done yeah. really well and so uh, hmm. they, they bankrolled the Hellraiser remake. I don't know. Oh, sorry, they... not remake. The Hellraiser movie, I yeah. should say. If they do make a sequel to this, I'll watch it. Uh, I would, I would a hundred percent be there for a sequel. This TV show, I'm interested. I'm interested to see what they do. I don't know what they're going to do with this. But I feel um, like, the, although I can't help but shake the feeling that the we're going to have a Chucky situation where we've got like um, there is this film which is like kind of a like which is the new adaptation, and then the TV series is going to be OG shit, 
which mm. is what we're seeing with Chucky at the moment, whereas we have the Child's Play remake and what they were hoping to do with that, which uh, fucking died and good riddance to it. As far as I'm aware, though, Clive Barker's involved with the TV show as well. So I don't yeah, know. but that's, that could go either way. But anyway... So your least favourite would probably be, as you're saying, is that line when she's she's storming back into the room? No, I'll tell you what my least favourite is. No, I just thought that line was funny. Um, I'll tell you what my least favourite bit is. It's when Nora and Trevor are fucking about in the by the bar. In the, the lead up to that, yeah. In the mansion, because that just screamed to me. It was like, we need to separate them, but how do we do this? <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, I do feel that a little bit. Yeah, that is kind of... Yeah, no, I get. And that. I did think the ending kind of well, not just the the whole bit where he's getting where Void's getting fucking filleted, um, just the ending in general. I thought the movie was a bit too long, like two hours. Yeah. See, I I like they, the fact they, that they could have trimmed longer. the ending a little bit. I'm with you on that. My my least favorite probably does go to Roland's transformation, mm. not because it's a bad scene. It is incredibly well done. It is a wonderful bit of lore to this version of the Hellraiser universe, so to speak. But it was it just felt unnecessary to me. Mm-hmm. And the film, again, as I said earlier, to me would have been much more effective with leaving us with that question. Did Riley make the right choice? Would the Cenobites have fucked her over if she picked Resurrection? Would it have been... Uh, would it have been a voice situation? Would it have came? Would it have been a Frank situation? Even would he have came back, but only in only what was left of him, effectively, mm-hmm. uh, living forever in pain? Uh, would it have been, you know, something of that nature? Because, yeah, having that, and again, hats off to, uh, what was her name again? Jamie something. Clayton. Yes, uh, for a performance with that. That scene where she's describing what is going to happen to her, the configuration that Riley has chosen Mm. and the name drop of the lament configuration and making that name make fucking sense for the first time in the franchise think about what lament is does that have anything to do with what the fucking puzzle box does in any of the Hellraiser movies Eh. up until this point, fucking no it doesn't it really doesn't. This is the first scene where the name of the box as the lament configuration makes fucking sense. Mm-hmm. And I love that. I love that. This That's one of the things that I really look for in these types of... Uh, whether it's a requel, a remake, a new adaptation, as I feel this is, it's taking things that the previous film may done well but could have been better and delivering on that promise. That's what I feel the purpose of any good uh, revisiting, remake, reboot, whatever you want to call it. That is the purpose of doing that. It is to take a film and make it realise every bit of promise it could have had. And it's why remakes like the shot, like shot for shot remakes fucking piss me off to no end. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> because they are, they exist to add nothing literally now that is the point of doing a shot for shot remake it is to 100% emulate the original in every possible way speaking of shot for shot remakes if you say psycho I'm gonna fucking hit you well have you it's gonna be about that but have you heard the theory about why Gus Van Sant did that why 
uh, apparently uh, it was to show that even if he was to do it like behind like a shop or shop thing, nothing could compare to the original. He said that's an artistic statement. See, like, I've, fair enough. <laughs> I've heard that. I have heard that theory sort of kicked around, and if that is the case, then it is a then the cycle remake is a fucking fantastic piece of art. Mm. However, what I feel undermines that ever so slightly is the slight changes to the script that occur throughout <laughs> the film. Vince jacking off. Yes. The, <laughs> while it is a shot-for-shot remake, there are a few, uh, not necessarily, I wouldn't call them original ideas, but there are a few, uh, what would you call it? Um, not advancements. What's the word I'm looking for? Fuck. Just changes? Yeah. Not changes, no, because it's like, well, they take like a step forward of the ideas uh, sort of raising the stakes so to speak they just expanded on some ideas uh, that's it expansion thank you there are a few sort of expansions it's, on it's, previous ideas that were in Psycho it's not like the Cabin Fever remake where all they did was just change the gender of some characters yeah <laughs> shove it out there although again see for it if that's done as an artistic statement that can be it uh, wasn't really very interesting just, in its own thing. I know it wasn't. It was in that just film's one case. side character. <laughs> I know that. I know it isn't in that film's mm. case, but that a gender swap version of a film can be very effective uh, as an artistic statement, as just to show the differences in how it all plays out. Uh, a fantastic example of this, albeit being a parody, is the Dutro Party Massacre Three. While it is a parody, it. <laughs> uh, while it is a parody, and it is first and foremost a comedy movie, it does take the gender roles and completely flip them. The victims are hapless frat boys, and but they are subject to all of the same things that you would expect. Mm. Your uh, fucking sorority girls or teenagers are just random college kids, oh uh, as Tuckerdale versus Evil calls them. It's, uh, to to be through, so they do like they do the shot where like one of the one of the bros runs past a tree and like his jumper rips and you can see like his okay. abs and his midriff <laughs> and that. They do like okay. the scene where there's like a tactical rip in one of the shirts so that like a tit is exposed, but it's man tit in this instance. They do all that and it is a lot of fun. It is funny as fuck. I would recommend that film. I'm being perfectly honest. I really enjoy it. Best feminist, horror, best feminist horror movie Sorority House Massacre 2 <laughs> it is though not seen it uh, I would have I went more Slumber Party Massacre myself Slumber Party Massacre 2 Remember one they're all the same the one with the guy who's got the drill yeah that's Slumber Party Massacre then the second one no the second one was the mad dream demon with a fucking guitar, guitar drill. drill yeah yeah that shit's good <laughs> that's that shit's fucked Shit's funny. That is funny. <laughs> but uh yeah, no, that's a that's a great What am I talking about? I don't know shit about feminist horror. <laughs> yeah. But uh yeah. Get it up you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Ready or not's kinda of feminist horror to a certain degree. I would say so. Well it's it's less feminist than more uh <laughs> more class commentary yeah. than anything else, I suppose. Less feminist more of I just happen to be a woman in this situation. I don't know, but because ah, it's you know the fact that it is a marriage and whatnot, and that is you know it does lend to certain. I don't know shit ideas, about feminism. But... I didn't learn about it in school. So, final thoughts on the film overall, my friend. What do you think? 
it's fucking good <laughs> it's, it's pretty good it is it is really fucking good like, even though I was sleep deprived when I watched it and it, yeah I thought it was very good <laughs> you're sleep deprived now I'm always sleep deprived <laughs> <laughs> and that's usually my choice but you know it's, it makes things more interesting <laughs> oh, good lord <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's but no, it's a good movie. I, I, enjoy, I enjoyed it immensely. I will probably watch it again. Not anytime soon, but I'll probably... Oh, I'm, I'm definitely going to be watching this again, man. Mm. I fucking love this movie. It's... Uh, this... Ve- this came very close to being my favourite in the franchise. Oh, okay. Uh, the only thing that was holding it back, again, was that last scene. If, that, if, if it had been... If that last scene had been cut... And the last line we were given was the was from Colin. This would have been like day number one Hellraiser movie for me. Okay, like yeah. it was fucking incredible. This is just a this is just a personal preference. Like I wouldn't put it as my favorite Hellraiser movie. I I enjoyed the movie a lot. However, back to what you were saying at the very start of this episode about how you think uh, some horror movies are a bit too queen nowadays. Uh, I thought this movie was a bit too queen. I, I, want, too, I, yes. I would like some I would have liked a bit more gore and grime to this movie but you know I, I, I can't really hold it against it not know? necessarily gore but more so with the I wanted my flesh people <laughs> <laughs> not necessarily gore but more kind of I get again I get why this film looks the way it does because of the it does get the kind of the sheen works for this film I feel mm-hmm because it has that kind of it gives it that kind of otherworldly sort of setting and it does we do get a little bit of that grime in the beginning of the movie mm-hmm. uh, with the hospital uh, the outskirts of the flat when she's coming from the car into the playground and whatnot the toilet, uh, yes uh, all <laughs> of that drugs. yeah all of that sort of stuff but I wish and, I continued See, I kind of like the fact that it didn't to a certain degree because it gives us that contrast between the real world and then this otherworldly kind of thing of like the occult and Cenobites and the the inherent kind of classism that is explored when we go into Voight's kind of storyline. And eventually one day I would like to be on a Google search of just local occult collector Jacob Brousseau. You want to be... What you you want to be Roland Voigt at some point? I wouldn't be a prick about it. You would be. I wouldn't. Yeah, you would. Just because I have Alistair Crowley books in my bag as we speak right now. <laughs> you camped out near his house, you wanker. <laughs> yeah, I did, yeah. You just peeked the fuck out of that, mate. <laughs> good lord, that is a that is unfortunate. I I did camp outside there. It was very good. I had a great time. You just made my job ten times harder by laughing like that, you bastard. Mm, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, but yeah, as I said, for myself, this is an incredible movie that I will be finding myself watching uh, numerous times in the future, no doubt. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna watch it again, but you know, it's, it's a bit long. <laughs> it, is um, a, it is a little bit long, longer. Uh, I will say that that is definitely a valid criticism of the film. Well, I, I. I won't do a ranking of Hellraiser movies at this point because I get the feeling that we might end up doing a Hellraiser series. <laughs> so, uh, you know. I haven't, I haven't even seen all of them. Like, well, the most, recent, have I, the I most have... recent one before this, I haven't I seen. I haven't seen that one either. Uh, Judgment. 
Yeah, I don't think I've seen Judgment yet. I haven't seen that one. I've seen the rest of them. Yeah, I've seen I've seen the majority of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I dipped out after, I think, six. I dipped out because I really did not like the whole... When Laura Christie comes back. Did she come back in six? Mm-hmm. I thought she came back in two. Yeah, she's in the first two, but she got, and she's technically in the third one, briefly. Yeah, for a lot of But she comes mm-hmm. back in six. I t- see again. I totally forgot about that, but I, I don't really like the kind of tacked on nature of mm. uh, of five and six of the. It was basically the it was hell all along trilogy, uh, as I like to call it of five, six, and kind of seven. I do have a soft spot for five. I think five's alright. I don't think it's a great movie. I think it's shot very well. I think everything. About, I think it has a good atmosphere, which helps because it's done by Scott Derrickson, who did Sinister and of course, yes. Doctor Strange and yeah. All these things. It, it's it's pretty decent. Uh, the rest of them can go fuck themselves. I don't <laughs> I don't like them. As I said, the only good thing that uh, the Hellraiser sequels gave us was uh, Scott Derrickson, Adam Scott, and Henry Cavill, and my boy. So fuck you. <laughs> oh, we'll do Pumpkinhead eventually. Yeah, <laughs> my boy. <laughs> See if we find out that that is not a line in the movie. I don't think it was. I will fucking riot. Anyway. I don't think it was. Uh, but anyway, yeah, so yeah. that was Hellraiser. Uh, very good movie. If you haven't watched it, go see it. If, if you're one of those people that think Hollywood's going woke by uh, hiring a female actress to play Pinhead, go fuck yourself. Uh, oh yes, yes. Go, whole, wholeheartedly go fuck yourself. That is a... <laughs> or, or don't go fuck yourself and watch it. You might be pleasantly surprised. I don't True. know. Yes. Uh, or watch it while fucking yourself. You might be even more pleasantly surprised. <laughs> <laughs> that might be the good. That might be the best way to watch the movie. I don't know, but uh, I will test that this evening. No, I won't. <laughs> but no, it was a good movie. I liked it. I enjoyed it a lot. So that was Hellraiser. Uh, next time on the podcast, we will be continuing our uh, John Carpenter thon with uh, Assault. Assault and Precinct Thirteen. Yes, we will. I have not seen this movie. I have only seen one clip from this movie of a child getting shot in the chest. <laughs> I have listened to the soundtrack of this movie. It's fucking banging. I have seen the remake. It was okay. But, I forgot uh, there was a remake. There was a remake with Ethan Hawke and oh, Lawrence, yeah. Lawrence Fishburne. Yeah. Yeah. It was It was okay. But yeah, Psalm Precinct 13, please come join us. Listen to us talk about that movie. And uh, this has been Archive Panic. Thank S- you for listening. See you later.